are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today we have with us in the studio, Jason LaValley. Jason is the program coordinator at Downtown Radio. We'll be right back with Jason. Let's first talk about time. I'll start with a quote by Leo Christopher. He posts a lot of online blurbs and quotes that are quite interesting. There is only one thing more precious than our time, and that's who we spend it on. And this has been an issue. I know I talked last week about being busy, this week about time. I am a ball of anxiety. My depression seems just fine. I don't feel down, but I feel like crumbling at all the edges and like I can't get anything done and I don't have time for anybody I love. And I'm rushing and I keep telling myself this, this whole year, I, I say, you're at ease. You have a lot to do, but it doesn't have to be a struggle. You can be at ease. You can be comfortable in the midst of having to have so much to do. And it's not always true. (laughs) Just isn't. I just run, 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 run. And then my mom calls me and says, I'm lonely. Is there any chance you could be back before eight tonight? We could take a walk (laughs) because she's staying with me over the winter. Oh, sure, mom. I'll do that. Yes. And then my boyfriend, do you have time for this relationship? (laughs) Because I don't, I don't have time. I'm, I'm, it's every day I think, okay, I'll be done by five and I'm at work till eight or nine. And then the next day I sleep in because I can't, I'm having trouble sleeping at night. I'm waking up at two in the morning and five in the morning. And then I need more sleep and I forget, you know, sleep through my alarm and then it's nine and I don't have to be at work till 10. What a luxurious thing. What a first world problem to have, but it's, you know, bad sleep running around. I had my last guest Halsey, we talked about depression and anxiety being hand in hand, like siblings or cousins or something. And I think my depression is kind of squished down, which is really nice. It's nice not to be depressed. But the anxiety is taken over. It's like you push one down and the other one pops up. And when the anxiety goes down, the depression goes up. And I don't know. I don't know which I prefer. <laughs> I don't know if there's a better way of being in this world. But I'm trying to just keep the mantra of like, I'm at ease. Do what you can get done. You don't have to be worried and anxious you always have a lot you have to do. And they are things that you enjoy. You're doing your life's work. You're doing your passion. So relax. It works about 50% of the time. (laughs) So for all you lovely listeners out there, I hope that you are feeling relaxed and that you are remembering that the most precious thing other than time is who we spend on and that you carve out a little time, Valentine's is coming up, to spend it with someone you love. doesn't have to be a love partner, just someone you love. Today we have with us in the studio Jason LaValley. Jason is the program coordinator for Downtown Radio. Hello, Jason. Welcome to the Depression Session. Well, thanks. It's, uh, it's very interesting to be a guest on one of the shows on the station. <laughs> I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while, actually. <laughs> I know, and it's been, it's really been, uh, I've been so busy 
with the station that I haven't really had a chance to do much of anything else until more, more recently. So you understand my introduction about time? Absolutely. I mean, you do what you love. You're doing what you love, right? Isn't that beautiful? Yes, yes, for sure. And then monstrous amount of details go with that that have to be done every day. Right. Yeah, and, and even though I'm doing something I love, it's not without its challenges. It's ups and downs. Any of the ups you want to share with us? Sure. The station is is doing well. The public response has been overwhelmingly positive, you know, really beyond beyond what I ever imagined it to be. And so that's great. You know, we're continuing to grow as an organization, always working on goals and then meeting them and then working on something else. So yeah, I mean, it's just going, it's going very well. I'm glad because I want this show to keep going. (laughs) I love doing it. And I love the opportunity. I do want to just thank you personally on the air. Like, thank you. Thank you for inspiring me to do this. Well, you bet. And thank you for doing such an excellent job on the show. I mean, you put a lot into it and you can really tell that it's a, it's a well done show. Thank you. And it's helped me. Like, that's the part that I thought might happen, but you never know. I mean, I mean I'm talking about how I'm like this ball of anxiety and I have too many things to do, but I, it is such a huge blessing that the depression is just not noticeable in my life right now. Right. I remember when you first started doing the show, you would talk a lot about your depression. And then it got to the point where you, you stopped feeling depressed and just admitted you're not really feeling that way anymore. I'm not. And that's great. Maybe, maybe just talking about it, like they say, is, is therapeutic. It's, it it has been for me. Maybe it's timing too. Who knows? Who knows? I think depression is weird. I feel like there will be another wave of it that will come into my life at some point there. I can look at my past. I had a guest to talk about that. Like it's a wave. It washes over you like the ocean and that washes past. That's her experience. But that is mine. Like maybe four years of depression and then, hey, then I'll be up on the roof for a little while. Like sometimes, maybe I'm like bipolar over the course of years, but like way up here for years of like feeling pretty good or sometime a year. And then something happens and I get off. So do you feel like your depression is situational? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I think it is. Or do you feel like you have, uh, you know, a genetic predisposition towards it? Like many people. When I look at my family, I think there's no way I couldn't. Mm Mm-hmm. Everybody has some form of depression or bipolar or borderline and et cetera. So I think, well, either, you know, maybe I won the brain chemistry lotto and I just have situational depression when things go awry because my dad's death and my stepdad's death really did set me. Right. Yeah. You've talked about that quite a bit as being the, the factor that led you on your most recent path of depression. While that you know can certainly be a trigger, it seems like a lot of people that experience depression don't have it uh, associated with any particular life event necessarily. Yeah, and that, that's when I started to think there was a problem. I'm like, well, it's been three years, and my life is actually pretty good, and everything's all the dust has settled, and I don't miss my dad really anymore. So I mean, I miss him, but not that kind of grief. Right, and, you miss him, but not. Yeah. Not with the same kind of sadness. 
I think I'm someone who's prone to triggers. Like I'll be fine. And then there might be a trigger. And when I look, I, I, I thought I'd never had depression because I see it in my family so much and it seems so deep and dark and mine never felt like that. But now having done this show and talked to so many people, I think that I get triggered by something. And there are times in my past where I'm like, oh, is that why I never left the property for like weeks at a time? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not normal. When I lived in New Hampshire, I didn't have a job and I would just never go anywhere and never see anybody and thought that that was kind of okay because I wasn't depressed. I wasn't happy, but I thought depression was more deep blues, but I think you can have it in a way that is just, you don't feel like going anywhere or doing anything or seeing anybody. I don't know. could be something else. Uh, no, I, I think <laughs> you're right. I think there are various forms of depression. You know, you mentioned the possibility of having some kind of, I think you just said something about having bipolar over the course of years. Um, you know, and who's to say that that's not, that that's not a possibility. So on that note, Jason, tell us the story of your depression. Well, I first started feeling depressed as a teenager, which is a pretty normal time for people to first start feeling it. So I was probably around 14 or 15 and my parents had divorced and it was a very uh, contentious dissolution of their marriage. A lot of drama, a lot of anger, a lot of acting out. Anyway, I was a teenager and, you know, the teen years are tough enough. You know, I was in a class one time and someone the, the, the teacher asked us to, the instructor asked us to uh, name the age of all these things. And she went through a list, name the, the, like how old you were when you got your first kiss. How old were you when you started driving? How old were you when you had sex for the first time and so forth? And for me, everything on that list was when I was a teenager. So though that, those years are just tough to begin with. And then you throw, throw in other factors, it can really be a challenging time for people. So in my case, I was, I was sleeping a lot in the afternoons. <clears throat> and my dad got concerned. I was, you know, my, my parents were split up and I was staying at my dad's apartment. And, you know, he noticed that I was sleeping an inordinate amount. And so he wanted me to go see someone for it. So I did... And I went to see a, a, a doctor friend, and the doctor friend told my dad that I was either on drugs or depressed. And my dad was pretty sure that I wasn't on drugs, and I wasn't. So he eventually had me see a, a therapist. And so I, I started seeing a therapist when I was like 15 years old, and even like riding my bike to go to my appointments. I don't think the, the therapist was, was very good, to be honest with you. And I think that's a, a problem in general with people that are seeking help for depression is that sometimes therapists aren't very good. And so they get turned off to the idea of seeing any more therapists because it didn't help them or they didn't feel right about it. So I, I wasn't really thrilled with the idea of going to see another therapist, but I stuck with this one for, I don't know, maybe a year or something without really 
having it go anywhere. <clears throat> and then I think I just finally told my dad I didn't, didn't like it. But I did continue to be depressed in high school and beyond. High school is tough because kids are still pretty mean. I experienced that. You know, I had a pretty bad acne when I was in high school. Very bad acne, actually. And, and uh, just ex experienced a lot of, I, I feel like more, I felt like I was singled out more than other kids were in terms of being like picked on. So there was that, uh, that experience. Uh, it, it all compounded the, uh, the, the depression. But I, I got through high school and went to college and it was a big relief to, to get to college because I felt like I could be myself more. You know, in high school, there's, particularly the high school I went to, there's such a profound emphasis on conformity that, you know, I didn't fit in with the other people. I, I wasn't able to be myself, which is kind of, you know, creative and, well, I guess this is kind of redundant, but artistic and sensitive, free-thinking. I just wasn't really appreciated in high school. But when I got to college, that changed because I could let my freak flag fly and still have uh, friends and people that uh, appreciated me for who I was. And I didn't have to, I didn't have to restrain myself and, and try to act like I was somebody that I wasn't. So during those years, my depression was still present, but it was less. I really enjoyed many aspects of college. I, I loved um, going to class, which I never did in high school. Just enjoyed like meeting, meeting people from all over the world and all different walks of life, meeting people, um, just diverse individuals. And yeah, it was very freeing. So I, I enjoyed it. And then after college ended, I got depressed again, more, more extremely. And a big part of that was just that once, once college ended, I just, I got a job and I didn't have like a social group anymore because the friends that I had in college all went their separate ways all over the country. And um, it was just like, suddenly the party was over and there was uh, nothing for me to do except go to work and come home. And, you know, I think I watched a lot of TV in those days and didn't have many friends. I also had something, which it's kind of embarrassing to say, but I shouldn't be embarrassed to say because it it's a medical thing, but I had something called Pyrone's disease, which is a curvature of the penis, and it makes sexual intercourse painful and difficult. So that compounded my, my depression because I felt like I was damaged goods and that no, no one would want me. So, you know, even though my acne had cleared up and I was looking pretty good, I was terribly afraid of, of women for, for that reason. And anyway, I ended up seeing a doctor that recognized it for what it was. You know, I had to spend a couple nights in a sleep lab with, 
with all these electrodes hooked up to me and so forth. But they, they determined what it was, and then I had to have a surgery to correct that issue. And that was a big relief and made me start feeling more hopeful and getting, you know, getting on the road to putting my life together. But I did go through years in my early 20s where I was so depressed that I thought about suicide every day. I mean, not just once or twice, but throughout the day, many days. So I was just about as down as, as I could be. Just didn't want to continue. But that, that changed after I, I had that surgery. I, I saw therapists of my own volition and just started recovering. And one of the things uh, that helped was medication. And I, I've got to tell you that I resisted that. And I think I know a lot of people resist that. This notion that, you know, you need pills to keep you from being, from feeling depressed or crazy or however you want to put it. It's a real, pardon the pun, but a difficult pill to swallow. Also, the, the idea that you might have to take medication for the rest of your life is, it's just, it's, it's difficult. It's a difficult thing to wrap your brain around. So most people resist it. You know, I was a high school counselor for many years and I had students that I could tell were depressed and talked to them about getting uh, some help. And there was always, in almost all cases, a great deal of resistance to that whole idea of, of getting help. And that's largely because of the, the stigma that's associated with seeking help for mental and emotional health issues. And of course, that's one of our goals at the station is to try to decrease that stigma. So anyway, I, I think that people need to look at depression as any other kind of medical issue. You know, I felt the same way about getting glasses when I found out that my eyesight wasn't good and that I'd have to wear glasses. I was super resistant to the idea. I was like, no way, I'm not going to wear glasses. And I, I avoided wearing glasses too, even though I desperately needed them. People would wave at me from a distance and I'd wave back, but I wouldn't have any idea who they were. But, you know, it's, it's better just to take care of yourself and get what you need so that you can be happy and fulfilled. And if that means taking medication, then, then so be it. It's better than the alternative. And, and not everybody needs medication. Some people have situational depression that can be helped with talk therapy. But I, I had seen a number of therapists and I felt talked out at a certain point. Like I talked about everything and there was nowhere else to go except take medication. I did that and it, it definitely, I mean, once I found the right medication, not all medications worked for me. I went through a number of trials and errors before I found one that worked for me. But once I found that, then the depression wasn't a serious problem for me anymore. Thanks so much for your story. And it's, it's interesting. I feel like we've had some similar trajectories of divorce and me at that age, no sense of it was depression, but it was, you know, I don't remember that time period actually, 
But um, the other thing I really relate to is going to therapists and not finding helpful. Mm-hmm. Just not, and that's not to say it wouldn't be helpful for other people, but for me, my experience, maybe I just never found the right therapist. And at one point I was trying to see people and said, hey, can you give me some recommendations? And several people recommended one person. I went to them and did not, was not helpful for me. And I, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know why that is. You know, maybe, maybe, I mean, my experience of therapists is they're like, wow, you seem really well adjusted. <laughs> it's like, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't struggling because I'm one of those, I'm perfect, everything's good people. Even with a therapist, I'm going to do that. Right. Yeah, and I, I should mention that I'm, I'm trained as a therapist too. I have a master's degree in counseling. One of the things that I remember is that after I graduated, I felt like I didn't really know what, how to counsel people. What they do is they, they teach you different techniques and it's up to the individual to put it together and decide what kind of counselor they want to be and what methods they're going to use. But I did feel uh, woefully unprepared to be a therapist after graduating. And that, that may be it because they're, they're, it's, from other therapists I've talked to, it sounds like it's a hodgepodge of things that they put together and come up with their own theory of what works for people and probably it can never work for everybody. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, different types of therapies and different therapists have to match up with the right people. So it's uh, a combination factor that that is in place. Not there, there might be somebody that's an awesome therapist to to most people, but isn't very effective with some other people. Yeah, that, that's been my experience. Like everybody's like, this person's great, and not great for me. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like a failure, which is not the purpose of going to therapy, right? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's horrible when you feel bad about yourself because the therapist isn't very good. Or they're great, but it doesn't work for you. Right. Or or maybe it just doesn't, it would take longer to get to that point or I don't know. I don't know. But my feeling is it may relate to another thing you brought up, which is being very creative, being very sensitive, very self-aware thinking through things a lot. So therapists, somebody said to me once that a lot of therapists are kind of trained for people who are not self-aware. They're not aware of where some things are coming from. So when they ask you a question about your mother and you've thought about it for the last five years and you're like, have this very concise sort of like, well, this is what I've been thinking about with that. That wasn't what they were expecting. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, maybe something about being sensitive and creative and whatever means that certain type of therapists won't work for you. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. Never figured that one out. <laughs> you know, but that's another thing I really related to, like being the like kind of strange kid in high school and people are, elementary school, people are incredibly mean. I have people who remember their childhood really fondly and I'm like, where were you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe there were... Maybe they were the bullies. (laughs) Or they were just like a regular kid. (laughs) Yeah, maybe they managed to just stay out of the, the, you know, the bullies line of fire. Yeah. Yeah, that neutral zone. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how they did it, but, you know, that's always a mystery to me. Like, wow, you you had a great childhood. Interesting. (laughs) And then the other thing that I wanted to bring up was that experience of very strongly related to this, which is going to college. 
freedom, yay, like a whole, that is a time period in my life to this day that I remember being a highlight of just great experiences all around in school, when I wasn't in school, even working, you know, can you expand a little on that, on like what that, what that was for you? Like that, was it the leaving the situation and just doing something new? Or do you think it's something about being in that environment? Well, it it was about, this is an oversimplification, but it was like getting out of prison in a way, going from high school to college, you know, and that's one of the things I, I would always tell my students is that, you know, it gets better after you get out of high school People don't go around picking on other people like they do in high school. And, you know, you can find kindred spirits and spend your time with those people, get affirmations from people that uh, are just friendly. You're not having to go and, and deal with these same people that are just mean-spirited. Yeah. And you have, you have this four years of everybody's there fresh from different places. Mostly they didn't come with a sad friend group. Everybody's on this, hopefully, I mean, a lot of people are on this adventure mindset. Right. And I I think that even some of the people that, you know, may have been bullies in, in school, they take the opportunity to, to change themselves once they get to college. And so it was just very refreshing for me to get to college and find that really most people were pretty friendly. Yeah. Yeah. And I also wanted to applaud you for talking about the surgery that you had. And what's, what's the name of it again, that you, the disease? Uh, Pyrone's disease. Pyrone's disease, because I think that's something that people don't talk about. Yeah. It, like I said, it, you know, it's not um, something I, well, it, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to bring up. It is. Especially knowing that anybody and everybody can hear this. It's part of it's part of my story. And so I felt like I needed to put it in there. Well, and also there could be somebody out there that isn't aware that there's something they could do about it. Yeah, that's true. They could change their life. Yes. For the better in every way. <laughs> because, you know, the, the your relationships and your sex life hugely affects everything. Right. It just does. <laughs> I mean, it, it maybe I don't know. My friend always says, "What about nuns?" And I'm like, "I don't know. <laughs> they have a relationship with God." <laughs> but I feel like it's an important thing. And the more it's just like with depression, the more openness we can have about anything that you struggled with, the more other people feel like they're okay. Because it's never just one person. There's never like a singular experience that nobody else in the world has. Uh, all, meanwhile, we all have these really unique experiences. I feel like being open about things. There's someone listening out there who's like, oh my God, I went through that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if somebody else can help themselves as a result of my story, or if somebody else can relate or find hope in my story, then it, it's definitely worth it. Just even if it's just one person, then it's totally worth it. There's that story of the child on the beach throwing the starfish back into the ocean. They're all washing up on shore and dying. You know, they need to be in the water and the kid's going along and throwing them away mm-hmm. back into the ocean. And somebody's like, you're not going to save them all. It doesn't really matter. And they're like, it matters to this one. And that's 
I think where kindness becomes really important. You just need to be kind or open or authentic and have it be good for one person and it was worth it. Yeah. So on that note, I just want to thank you so much for doing the station, all the work you put into it, having a space to talk about mental health and for having a darn good rock and roll station in town. That's an awesome. I, I never hear anything but good things. Thanks so much for being on the depression session. Thank you, Laura. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.